Vix the Convince. Welcome to the Vix the Convince podcast. Here's your host, NewSpark founder, Paul Mosenson. Hey, this is Paul Mosenson. Welcome to the podcast, Fix to Convince. Marketing optimization. I'm the founder of NewSpark Consulting. And I knew you'd be coming to the podcast today because that was your intent, right out there? Your intent? Because that's what we're talking about today. Intent marketing. What is that? We have a guest today who's going to explain that from the top intent platform out there in internet martech world, Bombora, if I pronounced it right. And she is Kate Athmer. Hi, Kate. Hey, thanks for having me. Sure. Thanks for joining me today. So a little bit about Kate. I'll be quick. She's the Senior Director of Growth Marketing and Sales Development at Bambara. She's responsible for educating prospects on the many ways intent data can improve the ROI of marketing and sales efforts, while guiding them toward more sustainable marketing and selling practices. Her team is responsible for everything that goes into demand creation to demand conversion, and of course, layers intent data throughout their efforts. Very interesting. And I also know that you're a, uh, a champion rower, aren't you? I am. Yeah, and she's known, she's quite athletic, and according to her bio, she's known for her tenacity, so watch it now. <laughs> But anyway, thanks for coming aboard, and I've got some questions for you, and we'll have some good conversation on intent data. I'm ready to roll. All righty. I'm trying to uh, get my Microsoft thing, the page down. Okay. Intent data. So what exactly is B2B intent data, and how is it collected? Sure. So uh, there's a couple different kinds of intent data, actually. So first party intent data, most people are probably familiar with. It's, it's the data that you can get from your own website. So what are people researching on your site can tell you a bit about what they're interested in or whether they might be uh, ready to talk to your sales team. Third party intent data is the space that Bombora plays in. And that is information that's collected across a number of different websites all over the Internet. Um, and it's basically, we call it observed behavior that can provide insight about a prospect's interest. So theoretically, that also indicates their potential intent to take action. Um, so we collect our data through a data co-op. So we have about 4,000 different publishers uh, that are members of our co-op, and they provide us with the, all the different data we collect uh, to be able to put together what we um, use for an intent score. Uh, there are other providers that collect data that same way. There are providers that collect data um, through a bunch of their different web properties, so like TechTarget, for example. Um, and then there are people who collect data, just intent data from the bid stream. So that's keyword scraping of sort of remnant advertising inventory um, to see what intent signals can be gleaned there. And it's interesting. You talk about signals and, you know, this is all about data. How specifically do you guys or the publishers monitor content? Yeah. So 
Um, so at Bambora, um, which is, I, th I think there's probably a handful of different ways this is done, but I, I can speak to how Bambora does it. So um, as I mentioned, those 4,000 websites we've got in the co-op, um, we have a, we've placed a tag on all of those pages um, with those publishers consent. A lot of them are actually exclusive. So Bambora is the only company, the only business that can track um, this sort of data from these publishers' websites. Um, and then we have a natural language processing engine, and that is responsible for identifying topics on either the website pages or the white papers uh, to really understand what those pages are about. So not just looking for keywords on the pages, but actually reading them like a human would read them and understanding what the actual content of the page is about how relevant it is to a specific topic, how deep it goes on a specific topic. Um, and then also we collect things like scroll velocity, dwell time to really get a sense of how thoroughly people are consuming the content on a specific page as an example. And so all of that goes into our formula for calculating our surge score, our company surge score, um, which I can, I can go into a little more detail on as well. Um, yeah, yeah, sure. Yeah, just a quick high level of the company surge score. Um, it's like I said, it's really the the level of um, interest someone is showing on a topic, and then compared to a historical baseline. So what we do is we look at a business and their trend line for how much content they're consuming on a particular topic, and then we look for increases or or an elevated level of interest in those. Um, and then we give the, the businesses a score and then that score tells you sort of, hey, this one is, is a higher level than it usually is, pay attention here. So typically a score above 60 on a scale of zero to 100 is what we can, would consider um, someone demonstrating active intent. I think it's really important because certainly with like, say for sake of conversation, display advertising networks, you can buy contextual keywords. Let's just use accounting software, for example. And just because I read about accounting software once doesn't mean I'm actually really researching it and in my intent to find, you know, vendors and more about it because that's, I don't really have the intent. I might be just passively interested, right? So Exactly. Uh, yeah. Or you could be reading a page that happens to mention the keyword accounting software, but actually really isn't about accounting software at all. And that could still trigger um, some methods of collecting intent. So that's why we think the topics are really important to know that this article is in fact confirmed to be about this topic, not just containing the keyword. All right. So all these ways to collect information about surging companies reading about content and processes and whatever they need product services i mean how do they match that with the companies themselves and even the job titles and like because it seems um especially in this day and age with cookies and things like that but um why don't you explain more about that connection between like the publishers and identifying the companies yeah, so one of the ways that we do it, um, the, well, the first obvious one is we do use some IP to domain matching. Um, that's pretty typical for anyone that's trying to pair a activity on the internet with a particular business. Um, so in addition to that, there's two other ways. 
we, with our data co-op partners, they collect information on their registration forms. And so they're able to provide data to us about who it is that's, that's actually on those sites. Um, and then we also just use a couple offline databases of registration data as well. So that three-pronged approach really um, is important to, for accuracy to also reduce false positives. So we kind of check all of those measures against each other. It's not like we, once we get a match with one of those ways, we just say, okay, we're done. Like we, we check it across all of them. Um, and then that also the three different ways of checking that has been really important recently when people are working from home, um, we can still understand what people are doing if they're not on their Wi-Fi at their company office, um, which is a limit of probably the IP to domain matching um, in a lot of scenarios. That sounds a bit technical to me. Uh, but, um, <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, to cut to the chase for those who are, let's, cause I'm thinking about mobile and desktop, right? You know, even if you're traveling now, nowadays it's not as much, but, um, you know, how does that work with uh, mobile and, and desktop and data that you collect? Yeah. I mean, in general, people have engaged in, on all of those platforms, regardless of where they're located at some point in time. And we're able to just to, to piece it together through all of the different data points we have. Um, cookies can help as well. Um, cookies, you know, who knows how long cookies will be around for. Um, I know, so we're, right. we're continually working on, on ways that we'll continue to be able to do that without cookies. But those three things that I, that I just mentioned are, are some of that um, capability there. But yeah, in general, it, it, it is a bit of a, a formula and, um, as you said, pretty technical in terms of how to do this matching. Um, but luckily, we have a great team of engineers that's working on it. And, and every day, this is their job. They're refining our ability to do this matching because that's, that's critical to buyers being able to use this information. Oh, yeah. I mean, you actually brought up a point, not to be Debbie Downer, but, um, you know, I guess privacy issues is evolving in today's internet world, especially with Google. So mm -hmm. certainly something to, to keep an eye on to see how it affects you guys and others in your space. Definitely. And it's, I mean, we've known this is coming for a while and we're, we're putting a lot of effort towards preparing for that and making sure that we're still able to deliver the data that people expect from us um, once that change happens. And thankfully due to our data co-op, we're, we're in a really strong position to be able to uh, to continue to deliver that value, um, whereas some other providers might have a little bit more difficulty without having those really strong relationships with all of those publishers. Okay. Oh, by the way, uh, before my next official question, a quickie here, is are your publishers a mix of like IT versus manufacturing type, or is that a, a blend, or are you focus a little more on like technology type publishers? I'm just curious. All of those. Um, <laughs> yeah, we, we have a lot of different publishers. So there are some industry specific ones like IT, technology, software um, that you mentioned, manufacturing, finance, healthcare. Um, but we also work with a number of really like large publisher sites that are distributing news on every topic you can imagine. Um, think like Forbes, CNN, um, those type of sites. So it's... Um, we have a very wide range of topic coverage, 
Um, but I think those those industries that we mentioned are the ones where we also, in addition to the to the broader sites, have some more specific stuff. Um, I think it's probably if you're getting intent data from um, a different provider than Bambora, it runs the gamut there. So there's some um, that are very industry specific and like, for example, only in the IT space. And they're really strong in the IT space, um, but that's it. And so if, you're no, if you don't need IT intent data, then they can't help you. Um, so we try to really um, be able to s make sure that we can, um, I guess when we're, when we're having a consultation or speaking with a prospect, one of the first things we do is we make sure that we have the data that they need that we have coverage on the topics that are relevant to their business. And we're able to pull that data into a report for them and to give it to them as a sample to say, this is what we can show you. This is what it looks like this week. Take a look at this report, you know, make sure it's going to be enough information for your business that, that we can help you um, before we move forward. And I think that that sample is really important to understand if you're, if you're going to get the data that you need. And, and that's something you should always be asking for, like always ask, for a sample of the data um, to test it and make sure it's what you need. Right, right. So, okay, so we get it, intent data, it's kind of like predictive analytics in a way, similar, right? And uh, because you're trying to target companies with a higher intent to be open to your message in marketing, right? And you're trying to limit waste coverage and all those kinds of things, we get it. Um, in your view, in your experience, what are the best ways marketers should use the intent, <clears throat> excuse me, should use intent data um, in their practice? Yeah, so it's actually, it's interesting that you brought up the predictive analytics piece because breaking news today, we are actually announcing an integration with Sixth Sense, who is like the leader in predictive analytics. So people can now actually put Bombora's data into the Sixth Sense platform directly with an integration and make use of it there. So. Um, oh. Intent data definitely helps power that predictive. We're not going to claim that we're predictive, um, but you can you can take our data and, and use it in your predictive modeling for sure. Um, so that's that's kind of one um, use case. But to be a little more tactical or a little more specific for marketers, um, there's three ways that I recommend uh, using intent data and potentially in order of getting started. But you could really you could really do it in any order. But the first one is sales prospecting prioritization. So giving your SDR team a list of the accounts that are engaging and showing interest, um, not just on your site, but prior to them getting to your site is really powerful and really valuable. Um, I know a lot of our customers, especially recently, have switched their SDR teams from just calling down a, a static target account list that they have assigned to them they're switching them to calling down a list of accounts that are showing increased levels of interest each week. So they get this report on Monday and it's, this is the task list for the week kind of thing. Um, we also did an, uh, we have an outreach integration in process. Um, outreach is a prospecting tool for SDR, BDR, even sales teams. Um, and so we are triggering tasks within the outreach platform for those teams to know this is this is the account you've got to work first. This is the account you need to work this week kind of thing. So that's the number one easiest way to get started and start seeing value from intent data. Um, to go a little bit more in a marketing direction. So 
uh, ABM is obviously very popular. Um, best way to have confidence in your ABM list is to pair it with intent data and know which companies that you've already selected from, from other means, um, potentially like Evershring or something, um, or if you've just had your sales team pick a list of accounts. Either way, putting that with intent data helps you know, okay, these are really truly ones that are showing interest in us that we should be going after and we should be focused on, whether that's with our display ads, our social ads, or an email campaign, or if you want to use the ones that are really showing elevated levels to send them a piece of direct mail or a really highly personalized ABM campaign, the intent data can just give you the confidence that you're investing your time in the right accounts there. And then the third way is messaging, um, content messaging and planning, making sure that you've got messages or pieces of content answering questions that your prospects are asking or researching on. Uh, make It's really powerful to be able to, once you know what stage in the buying journey a prospect is at, to be able to serve them up the content that they need at that stage to get to the next stage. Um, and that resonates with the specific topics they're, they're researching. Um, and sales can do this too, not just marketing. So we have, uh, there's actually a case study on our website of a, a salesperson was on, woke up in the morning, was preparing for a meeting, noticed that their prospects were surging on a completely different product than they had planned to pitch them. They quickly switched their pitch to what the, the research was being done on and, um, and then they were able to actually close the deal, uh, which is something that probably wouldn't have happened with, without that intent data to inform them what the prospects cared about. You actually brought up another thing in my head, which happens a lot. Um, a couple of things actually is uh, not that you don't, your related kind of business is those platforms that identify people who visit a website. Yeah, that's kind of intent data as well, obviously is mm -hmm. a, comp a company visited you. And now you go to a tool and find out who at that company might've been visiting you. And then you go to do some outreach to them. Right. Mm -hmm. uh, so, um, I'm just saying that, <laughs> but, um, but, but that's intent too, right? I mean, obviously. Yeah. If they visited your site. Yeah. Go ahead. Definitely pair that, pair that with the third party intent data um, and you, and use all the information available. Typically we find, and this is, you know, generalization, so it doesn't apply always, but typically we find by the time people get to your website, they're pretty far along in the process. Um, they're, sure. they're really in that consideration, picking between vendors or picking between providers sort of stage. So the third party intent data often comes in earlier where they're doing more broad research on industry publications and whatnot. Um, so that can kind of clue you in at first. And then that way, when they hit the website, you're like, bam, ready to go. Like, you know what they're interested in, you know why they're there and you're armed and ready. Yeah. You mentioned Everstring. It's a, it's a relationship I have with them as well. And, and that's really a cool uh, platform for uh, sales intelligence, what have you, upload company names like you mentioned, and overlay firmographics, company size, whatever it is, right? And then overlay intent data, Bambora, right? Mm -hmm. and, and then you get this like list of companies that are surging, right? And the mm -hmm. thing with Everstring, not that we're promoting them too much, but you know, for a fee, you get to download contact names that hit those uh, companies, right? Then you export them and yada, yada. 
Um, or you can take them, upload them to a, like a display campaign that does email. I mean, you can do so much stuff with that, but it's, but you know, it's all about targeting, right? And, yep. and, and, and utilizing your sales resources wisely um, for, like you said, SDRs or any kind of inside sales or anybody who's trying to, you know, do fine-tuned targeting, you know, whether it's through advertising or direct email or social, um, because they're the ones who are more likely to pay attention. And that's yeah. the point. That's the Definitely. Point. Everstring's a, a great partner of ours. I think the, one of the greatest things about Bombora's data is that you can pair it with so many different other partners or other platforms, um, some of which we have official partnerships with, some of which our customers are like, oh yeah, we're, we're smashing this data with this data. It's great. We love it. Can you guys build an integration? We've got a long list of those kind of requests too. Um, but yeah, Everstring is, is, was actually one of our, an earlier partner of ours. Um, if you're familiar with their fire model, the fit intent, recency engagement, uh, were the intent part. So, um, definitely great working with them. And I think a lot of people get, get a lot of value from knowing, going back to the having confidence in the accounts that you're going after that you're prospecting is, is so valuable. Yeah, for sure. Speaking of partnerships, you have a recent one with LinkedIn, which I'm excited about because I know when I do LinkedIn marketing for companies, I always have to shake a little bit about the potential cost per clicks for those campaigns of just sending messages out to demographic targeting, basically. So I'm excited yeah. about that. Do you want to just kind of summarize that relationship? Yeah. So I love that partnership. Um, as a demand marketer myself, responsible for our LinkedIn campaigns, um, it's I think it's a no-brainer. Um, we charge relative. I would say we charge a very fair price for that integration. Um, if if you're spending more than fifty grand a year on LinkedIn, like it's a total no-brainer to hook that up. Um, the way it works is within the Bombora UI, um, we work with our prospects to pick um, the topics that are relevant to them for particular LinkedIn campaigns. Um, so we don't just say, okay, what are all of the topics relevant to your business? We'll put these in um, because that's not how it works. You want to make sure that you're putting in the topics that are relevant to the ads you're going to be serving um, first of all. So, um, if you're doing a campaign about accounting software, for example, then that would be a topic you would pick. You wouldn't pick um, a, a different topic related to that business. So we put the topics into the Bombora UI um, and that spits out a report. And that report, um, you have the ability also to filter based on company sizes that you go after, um, what industries you go after, um, just to make sure that the data you're getting back is people you want to talk to. The other way you can do it is you can actually take your target account list. So if you've already got, these are the accounts I want to go after, you can load that into our platform and we'll only return businesses from that account list. Um, so that is the kind of best way to be really precise about it. Um, so with that information coming out of Bombora, then the way it goes into LinkedIn is as a custom audience. So it's super easy. You get the report, you run the report, it automatically updates weekly. You link it into your LinkedIn through custom audiences and you can use that for targeting segmentation just the same way as you would with any of the LinkedIn targeting. Um, and it automatically updates every week with the companies, with the businesses that are showing intent level, increased levels of interest um, on the topics that you picked. So 
Um, it makes it for a really dynamic campaign and make sure that you're targeting people who are, are showing that um, increased interest, but then also with the specific topics and messaging that's relevant to them. So um, one thing that people tend to do, I mean, if budgets get really tight, okay, do this. Um, you know, if your budget's super, super tight, um, and you only can target the accounts that are showing interest, like you can do that. And that is a way to use it. Um, but we all know that like at some point you probably have to kind of expand the window um, and you still want to be in front of the people that aren't showing active interest right now. So the number one recommendation is, is um, keep going after your targets, but then use the intent data to serve the ones showing elevated interest um, to serve them maybe lower funnel ads or more specific ads to the topics that they're researching. Um, but not, you know, don't shut off the rest as long as your budget can sustain it because uh, eventually those people, you know, part, part of advertising is awareness too. So eventually those people are going to need you and you want to make sure you're top of mind as well. Yeah, for sure. For sure. Yeah, it, it gets pretty intricate, but you still have to, to measure it all and, you know, put Google Analytics tags on them and everything and, you know, and measure the performance. And like I said, it, with most um, advertising out there, you know, tools like yours and others, the, it, it's, it goes right into the concept of demand generation, which mm -hmm. is target people solving their problems with messaging content, like we said, before they use a search engine and see your competitors, right? Exactly. So, they, so that's what demand generation is. And you can target general, like here's an audience, let's hope they're interested or use your data as a overlay to target more specifics and more people will, you know, you'll get higher conversion rate for sure. Mm -hmm. So I was on your website and you mentioned the concept called sustainable marketing. Um, what is that and what's the deal with that? So uh, here's how I like to explain it. Um, you know, marketing went more and more digital. Uh, emailing people was free versus like, you know, actually mailing something costs money. Um, so everyone kind of jumped on board with email marketing pretty quickly because it was a low cost, quote, free way to reach people. Um, and then we added marketing automation to the mix, which made it even easier to email people. And like, do you remember when it was exciting to get email? Because <laughs> it used to be exciting to get email and now you're bombarded and it's spam and you're tired of getting email and your inbox is full and you, and your junk mail is full and you just have no idea <laughs> like what's actually important in there. Um, so our thinking is we have so much data at our fingertips and so much data available to us now, thanks partly to marketing automation, um, thanks to intent data, that we have the ability to know who is interested in hearing from us and only email people who are interested in hearing from us um, rather than just spray and pay, spray and pray, you know, blanket, sending the same message to everyone. We have the capability and I think in, in Bambora's opinion, the responsibility to only be communicating with people about things that they're interested in hearing or learning about and at a time that they're interested in hearing and learning about it. So we call that sustainable marketing. Um, you know, making sure that, that the messages are relevant and timely. 
is really important. And, and we're also being forced to do that a little bit with GDPR and the cookie list movement and, and all that stuff. A, a lot of marketers are going, oh, GDPR, such a pain. Uh, but uh, like, uh. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, no one likes to be a lawyer as their part-time marketing job. And some of us feel like we are sometimes with GDPR, but um, yeah, but it's, I mean, that's, that's forcing it, but really it's, it's in everyone's best interest to protect the ecosystem, to make less spam, um, to make, to make use of this data that we have, to make sure that the marketing is, is truly relevant and being delivered to the people that, that want it and will benefit from it. Yeah, for sure. I mean, that actually brings up a little more focus on you, how to use your data properly with marketing and content, especially these surging companies. Um, in your view, what's the best strategy to target these people from a message standpoint? <laughs> um, I mean, make the message relevant. I think paying attention in, in this, it, I, what I'm about to say is like, this is how you do marketing. So it's kind of weird. Yeah, that's all right. <laughs> but it's, you know, it's, it's um, pay attention to where people are in the buyer journey. Make sure that you're serving them, not just throwing content at them, but serving them the content that's going to help them get to the next step. Like people do not read content just because they're interested. They read content because they think it will help them make a decision or make progress on a decision. So make sure your content is oriented towards that and appropriate for where the buyers are in their buyer journey. And then, you know, obviously make sure it's relevant, make sure it's, it's answering the questions that they have um, and not, not too overloaded with other fluffy stuff. Yeah, that's for sure. <laughs> and then you got to keep testing. Like anything is testing messages, mm -hmm. offers, tactics, strategies. I mean, we are, we test to optimize. That's what we do as marketers. Yep. At the end of the day, I always tell people, what's your report look like to your boss? You know, what's it look like? He's going to say, did it work? Did it work? <laughs> and you kind of either communicate it the right way or quote spin it the right way, but whatever, how you would do it, as long <laughs> as you could show, you know, you know, use your attribution, of course, and assisted conversions and things like that, that just to show that these uh, channels uh, contribute to uh, a purchase or a, uh, or an email submission on a form. Yeah. And that actually, that brings up an important point that I, I haven't mentioned, but um, when you're getting ready to measure whether something's working, it's really important to understand like what the goal was for something um, because you can't measure um, or you can't go to your boss with a report to answer the question of did it work when, what, when you haven't defined what working means. Um, and if you don't define it, someone else will. <laughs> and someone else will be like, well, that didn't work because I set this metric to measure it and it compared to everything else it looked like junk when you're like well that was actually a completely different campaign with a completely separate goal so you really can't benchmark those two against each other you've got to be clear as a marketer and set set that up front i start every single report with a the goal of this was to do this now here are the metrics of whether we succeeded or we failed against that specific goal not comparing it to everything else we've done as marketers. Yeah, for sure. I mean, it's like any test, uh, have a control and have variables and give it enough time to have data, of course. 
Mm-hmm. Um, you know, you can't like wait a week and say, oh, that doesn't work. <laughs> you know, so <laughs> it's, it, it's a process for sure. But you also don't want to waste your money either. I mean, you need time to fix and optimize. And, and then after a while with enough data, you could say this is uh, increased our sales qualified leads to the salespeople. And that's the bottom line versus before. So keep it up. Right. Yep. Right. So it is May 2020. So I will, uh, you know, what's going on right now in this period. So I will ask you about when people are working from home and intent data marketing in this scenario. Do you want to, any thoughts on that? (laughs) Yeah. So the, the main question we get is like, does the data still work? Um, Are you still able to identify people? And we talked about this a little bit earlier in the call, but um, the the three prong approach we take to resolving devices to domains um, really helps make sure that we are able to do that. So our persistent unique identifier means that we still are seeing the same levels of research happening. Um, we're still able to identify approximately the same number of accounts doing research. Um, we really the the thing that's interesting. Um, which is good that we're seeing this because it means the data works. Um, But we're seeing a difference in what people are researching. So obviously, um, this won't be a surprise, but healthcare and finance content is being consumed at a very aggressive pace um, this this spring. Um, Starting in in March, we saw a huge spike there. Um, Intent data or intent on, um, sorry, interest on topics of... um, other like business topics that are that are pretty popular, I think, among your audience, um, and and definitely among our customers, uh, technology, business, legal. Um, we're seeing a little bit of increased consumption around those um, uh, compared to like what we were seeing in January. So that was down temporarily, um, but it's coming coming right back up. I guess sort of as people got situated to to working from home um, and have have the same abilities to do online research that they could do in an office. Um, we're seeing those numbers, numbers start to climb and um, a, lot of, a lot of research being done in that area. So in general, the B2B interest has remained stable, but obviously, like I said, healthcare and finance, phew, shot right up. Yeah, for sure. And probably uh, virtual networking and video conferencing tools and oh, things like that, security, right? <laughs> security software, like, <laughs> the, oh. It's it's insane. Security yeah. is a huge one. Uh, this is a good conversation. A little sidebar here. I'm just going to ask because I don't know, depending on your platform. But, you know, we talk about topics and what people are reading about. Do you update that? And number two, can you use terms that I'm just saying, like COVID, survival, crisis, Um you know, high-level terms like that that people are reading about. I'm just and and target those people, especially with C level. Just asking. Yeah. So it depends. Um, in order to use topics, they have to be in our taxonomy. Um, and because okay. of the way our topic model works, it's, there's a bit of a process to add topics, but we accept them at all times. You can email them to topics at bombora.com if we don't have them. The full overwhelming. <laughs> taxonomy is available on our website. If you love big Excel files, you can actually see every single topic we have coverage on. Um, I, I would recommend a control F to check the terms you're looking for um, versus reading reading the whole thing. But um, 
yeah, the way I'll just a quick overview of how topics work. So when when we add topics um, to our taxonomy, it's a it's a rigid process intentionally because we want to make sure that we are training our natural language processor correctly um, and that we can actually get enough data on a topic. So we don't approve all topics, um, but we certainly make a, a very big effort if a customer or a prospect is like, I really need this topic added. It's super relevant to my business. Then, um, then generally we can get it added pretty quickly. Um, but the way we do it is we, first of all, we need to have a description of what the topic is. So something that's just like a, a one to two sentences of this is what this topic is about. Um, and then we need examples of content. Um, and I, I don't know, I forget the exact number of examples of content, but let's just say 15 pieces of content that can be found on the internet, that can be read by our NLP to understand this is what a piece of content on the topic of COVID, for example, looks like. And so that way, when they encounter other pieces of content on the internet, uh, they can say, oh, this kind of resembles this other piece about COVID. You know, we understand what COVID is. The NLP understands what COVID is by this point, and it can correctly tag the rest of that content. So it is a bit of a training process because we have to find those pieces of content. We have to give the, the language processor time to understand and digest that. Um, but then, so very long-winded to your answer. But then, yes, as long as we have the topics, you can use that information for for your um, to layer onto any of your marketing campaigns. Gotcha. I was Follow just that. <laughs> I was just wondering, just wondering. Well, yep. um, so last question. What advice do you have for uh, firms wanting to add intent data to their ad stack? Because I'm a believer in it. And then how do you get started? Don't wait. Um, don't <laughs> wait is my advice. But, um, but seriously, make sure you're asking the right questions um, of any intent providers you're considering. Because they are, intent data is not all created equal. Um, and you want to make sure that you get the data that, that matters to your business. Um, so we talked a little bit earlier about making sure that there's enough coverage on the industries that matter to you or that, that you can actually identify enough businesses in the industries that you sell into. Um, but also making sure that it meets compliance standards that your organization has set. Um, certain companies, especially those who are who are very tight to the GDPR guidelines, um, they might not be able to use certain types of intent data because there, there might be a gray area there. Um, so ask those kinds of questions. Ask how, how the data is collected. Ask how compliant it is. Ask, ask what systems you can use it in. Um, because if you can only use the data within one particular tool, um, that might not meet all of your needs. And we know like marketing is such a game of making sure you're across many different channels and reaching people in many different places. So if the data is only available in one of those channels, that, that might be um, not, not that helpful to you. Um, and yeah, ask to sample the data. I think I mentioned that earlier. Get a sample, take it back to your team, run a test for a week, um, make sure that the data is um, something that, that you'll be able to use before you invest in it. Um, and, and anyone should be able to provide you a sample of that data uh, before before they ask you to buy. So, um, and if you if you do a quick search on Bombora and questions to ask intent providers, um, we have a resource. It's not gated or anything. It's just out there for anyone to use when they're evaluating intent providers. So, um, a quick search should help you find that or 
or if you post my contact info anywhere, people can feel free to reach out to me as well. Okay, great. For that. So very interesting and uh, certainly a component. Again, we're all talking about, especially in this day and age, you know, targeting the right people, you know, the right titles, the right with the right content, the right offers. Um, just makes your job more efficient and effective. At the end of the day, mm -hmm. if you do it the right way, uh, increase your ROI. So, for sure. so Kate, uh, thank you. Thank you for uh, joining me today and learning about intent data and uh, appreciate you coming on. Yeah, and thank you for having me. I, if anyone wants to find me, you can go to connectwithkate.com. That will redirect right to my LinkedIn profile so you don't have to know how to spell my last name. Um, and I will, I will look out for any additional questions people have, but I, I really appreciate you taking the time. Sure, sure, that was my intent. So <laughs> I know, I know, I'm such a punster, but um, all right, everybody, thanks for listening. There'll be another podcast soon. Uh, good, good stuff here. Um, think, fix, stick, events. It's all part of marketing optimization. And uh, have a great day. Thanks for listening. Subscribe to get more marketing optimization insights. Fix the convince.